Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you, and the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. Paul, we had one of the biggest weeks when it comes to gaming this week, the Rockstar Games Grand Theft Auto 6 trailer dropped. So obviously the the this has been something that people have been waiting for for over a decade. The trailer drops break records. So 93 million views in 24 hours, which is breaking a record for non-music video debut on the platform. We're kicking it off and just getting into this, but I think that's pretty cool. This is something that people have been waiting for for a long time. I don't know. Did you get to see the trailer? I haven't seen the trailer, but every once in a while on the show, we'll talk about a really successful game. Like we talked about Spider-Man 2 being the best yeah. sort of Sony, best-selling Sony console game. There was the... Harry Potter game that came out in February. Yep, Hogwarts and, Legacy. You know, every once in a while we do dive in, but I don't think, I think some people probably don't realize. So like the video game industry is like $225 billion yeah, estimated massive. globally last year. It's growing at between 10 and 11% Kager. So, you know, it could be half a trillion in like eight or nine years. It's expected to be $250 billion next year. I mean, this is a massive, massive industry. And obviously, it's divided among console, computer, and mobile. But it's just such a huge draw for people because you have an audience where people are like captive, they're competitive, they're willing to spend money. One of the things we're going to talk about is, so GTA is obviously like a franchise that when we were coming up, and I'm not the biggest gamer, I'm not a gamer, but I remember when I was in college, everyone was playing GTA San Andreas like nonstop, like not going to class, like not doing anything. They're just playing <laughs> GTA. And I'm thinking like, it's just the best use of your time. But, you know, gaming is it, a it's a great release. It's super competitive. It, te- it enhances your skills in some ways. And, you know, a very, very lucky few can actually make you know some money off of it, uh, it typically in esports. But. I did start playing around with some of this Netflix, you know, because I didn't realize, you know, for a long time that Netflix, I guess for a couple of years now, Netflix has been, if you're a Netflix subscriber and you log in on your mobile app, 
you can get access to games, which you can play on your phone. And they're somewhat cool, but they're not really taking off. But the reason we're bringing it up is because they're doing the GTA trilogy. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, going to your um, your comments on gaming as an industry, yes, growing rapidly fast, and it crosses over quite a bit. There's tons of collaborations in gaming now, especially with Minecraft and Fortnite and Roblox, which is essentially these like platforms where there's communities and exploration and building together. Obviously, Fortnite famously had the collaboration with Travis Scott where they were doing concerts, Roblox, uh, Minecraft collaborations with Lego and big brands. But at the end of the day, it's like the GTA franchise has existed for such a long time. It just continues to make so much money. And this time around, not only did they spend $2 billion on this game, it seems that like Netflix is getting on the action too with obviously this release of GTA coming, not 2024, it's coming out in 2025. So this this trailer is like quite early on this. But Netflix, you know, been pushing their gaming platform, which I don't know anyone who's played a game on Netflix. Essentially, you can play mobile games via their app. I did start playing around with it, um, more mainly to prep for this. So, But you're right. <laughs> so um, less than 1% of Netflix global subscriber base is an active player of their mobile games. So they have about 240, 250 million subs and about 2 million or less are active, meaning they play games like on a regular basis. So less than 1%. They have 77 games. It's not a huge driver of anything for them right now, but you know, they're obviously they're thinking, you know, while they have this huge market lead in terms of sub base for SVOD and to you know, they're getting into AVOD, but it's a new revenue stream potentially. And let's say five years from now, when the growth isn't there and they, they're not able to crack down on password sharing to grow in that way, and maybe Disney and a couple other services are nipping at their heels and growing in other regions, maybe they can charge for games and that becomes another revenue stream. Or at, at the very least, it's a way to keep people from canceling their subscription, right? Like if someone's a huge Stranger Things fan and there's not a season coming out for a year or there isn't like a necessarily a show debuting that someone's really interested in, but they enjoy the games, it keeps them on the platform. If it's really successful, then you can charge an extra fee for it. So, I mean, that's what they're thinking. They're like, hey, now's the time for us to really learn what we're doing, make sure that if we're developing properties, that we're also including gaming rights, hiring developers, building out that infrastructure, because it's a completely different business. And being good at necessarily like streaming audiovisual content doesn't necessarily make you good at gaming. And a lot yes. of companies that think they're going to succeed in gaming because it's such a huge business, they haven't, it hasn't translated. So they're giving themselves some time. That's a really good point. It's very hard to make a very good game. And to your point, you know, the GTA licensing is more, hey, come and check out Netflix's, you know, games on the mobile platform. Check out the other ones that we have. Obviously, they could do things with like Squid Games and Love is Blind. And if they ever end up succeeding at making a good game, the money is there if you can succeed at doing it. It's very hard to do. Like free-to-play mobile games is, is really the business model there where you play, but then you end up, you know, a small percentage of people convert to paying for like virtual goods on the platform. Uh, I'll just give some quick stats just so people understand how big these mobile games can be. Monopoly Go, which is one of the currently one of the most popular free-to-play mobile games right now, Monopoly being one of the most famous games ever, board games, just crossed a billion dollars in revenue, and they did that in seven months. Wow. Marvel Snap, another one. Marvel Snap is a digital card game. 
obviously licensed by uh, Marvel, but they created this amazing game that's like kind of like poker with these deck of cards and you get like different superheroes and you play against people. I think it was something around like in the first, within 12 months, they had, they had made over a hundred million dollars. And so like, if you can make a good game, it's like a fantastic lucrative business. Obviously you spend a ton of money on marketing, but in this case, Netflix has that distribution. So if they can, to your point, make a good game, which is different than making a good series and a good movie, it could be an interesting revenue stream for them. Uh, let's say this. So from um, an IP perspective, it's like if you're bringing in an idea, let's say you find a book and you're like, okay, we want to make, a streaming show, but we also maybe want the, the potential to make a theatrical release. And oh man, maybe we want to make uh, mobile games or video games. Like it's just another bundle of rights based on the intellectual property. So you would try to include that in your your license in, or maybe you own own the whole work. And then it's hiring the team because like the, the gaming culture and making something that's fun that people want to play that goes viral. And it's like there are games just in the two years that Netflix has had their mobile games. Like they haven't had anything that so quote unquote yeah. caught fire but yeah. something like candy crush is probably downloaded i don't know 400 million times or something yeah the number the, the numbers on candy crush are absolutely insane in terms of how much money this game makes which is you know i think why a netflix chases into the space but again it goes back to you know making games if, if games were so easy like every single franchise which is very very hard to do right you know it, it reminds me of this professor i had uh, in law school i took some class at, at the business school and he was he was talking about how there's street vendors in New York City, and they always have sunglasses and umbrellas, right? Because they don't want to only have <laughs> yeah. sunglasses if it's a rainy day, and you don't only have umbrellas. So like you you got to diversify. And so for Netflix, it's like streaming's great right now. Their stock is is doing really well. I know we had talked about how it fell precipitously, particularly in November 2021. But you know what do they do? What's the next thing? What's the next revenue stream? I mean, that's that's a big challenge, and I think it's good for them to try to get ahead of this. And you mentioned Minecraft, which is the highest selling video game of all time. Yes. It sold three hundred million copies, maybe half of the one hundred and fifty or one hundred and forty million active monthly. players on a monthly yeah. basis. Yep. So it's legit. You know, there's a Minecraft movie. We talked about Zelda, how that could be the basis for a game. Obviously, Super Mario was a great game and great movie. And Minecraft, it's like that's a it's a little bit of a stretch. You know, it's a stretch. It's a stretch. But, you know, they have Jason Momoa. They have Pedro Pascal. They just cast Emma Myers from Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. From Wednesday. This thing's been in development for like 10 years. It had <laughs> Sean Levy, who was who did Free Guy. And then. He left. It's at Warner Brothers. So it's been there for, I don't know, 10 years. And then apparently it's going into production at the end of this month in New Zealand. It seems like the right time. It seems like the timing probably eventually worked after the success of Mario. And I think, again, people realizing this crossover is possible. I mean, you gave some of those numbers. Like Minecraft is an insanely popular game. Um, and again, it's, it's, there's community, there's building. And one thing, you know, it's the way a lot of these p people make money is not just in, uh, esports. I mean, people will post videos of people building stuff on Minecraft to YouTube, make money that way. And then developers of worlds in Minecraft make money by like monetizing it within it. So it's created these like multiple worlds that people can get involved with it. But, can you make a good movie out of something that is so like, there's no story in Minecraft. Everyone has a different journey, but look, this thing's got a huge fan base. I mean, 140 million active users in 2020. I found this number in 2020 at 2.3 trillion hours played 
on the platform. And now it makes around 20 billion. Right. So even if like 10% of the fans go and watch this movie, it's going to be very successful. And I could see some studio exec in a boardroom. You know, I'm sort of thinking of Barbie here when Will Ferrell's like, why aren't we doing... So <laughs> yeah, someone sees Super Mario come out and do a billion dollars and like, what the hell's going on with our Minecraft rights? You know, yeah, 100%. Like we've been, 100%. We've been wasting time. We've had scripts in and out of development. Like, let's just green light this thing. Let's get it going. Get Jason Momoa. Find a couple other people. Let's do this. It already seems like it's kind of morphing into like a Super Mario Brothers-esque storyline where you're probably going to have some young hero that maybe is mentored by Jason Momoa. And then they go on some like action adventure. I mean, that seems like a safe plot line to like work around. Yeah, the writer strike is over. Let's just throw some stuff together. And <laughs> the only question is whether they're going to do a sequel, a third, a fourth, a fifth, whatever. Because it's just, you know, they, there's so many fans. You're sitting on IP. Put it out. Put it out. Yeah, I agree. Well, I look forward to the Minecraft film. Let's take a quick break and come back with South Asians behaving badly. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, Paul, this story was really interesting when you sent it to me. South Asians behaving badly. It's like you take a few steps forward, you got some good South Asians out there, and then you got one guy who just does something super dumb. In this case, $22 million dumb stealing from the Jacksonville Jaguars. How does he do it? By being the manager of financial planning and analysis for the team from 2018 to 2023. Was it dumb? Was it hubris? I don't know. I mean, he, it seems like it's a somewhat complicated scheme that he came up with. Well, not, I don't know about complicated. I was thinking when I read this, uh, so for those who, who don't know, this guy is Amit Patel. He was working for the Jacksonville Jaguars in the finance department for five years from 2018 to this February 2023. And he oversaw the virtual credit card program, among other things. He also controlled the books and records. Yeah. He had control over the budgets. And apparently he had complete carte blanche over this VCC program to the point where he was able to inflate and create fraudulent transactions that allowed him to steal over $22 million from the team over the course of four years, um, which he used. Uh, allegedly, according to the indictment, to fund a lavish lifestyle, private jets, fancy hotel stays, Airbnb stays. He bought a condo. He bought a Tesla, Tesla a pickup truck, $95,000 Patek <laughs> Philippe. Crypto um, NFTs. Any crypto NFTs and some uh, daily fantasies, some sports betting. I guess he's a gambler. The only photo I saw of him online was from some poker tournament in uh, 2018 or 19. 
Like he's wearing a Florida State championship shirt. So yes, you say it's stupid. I mean, it looks like why hey, why would you do this? You know you're gonna get caught eventually. Maybe I'm thinking his lawyer said he's gonna plead guilty and he feels really bad. And by the way, like he didn't actually all the stuff that he bought allegedly, he bought with his own money. And this the money that he stole, he gambled away. So like don't yeah, come and take he his had a Tesla. gambling he had a gambling addiction. So they're blaming And he's getting treatment, a, yeah. Okay, come on, man. That come sounds on, right? like such a like a, a gambling Cop which out. is I don't even know what's worse. Like if you took the money and bought yourself some nice stuff, or you took the money because you had a gambling addiction and you put the uh, a different you put oh, well, like your employer in a hole. I'll tell you what could potentially be a million times worse, which we'll get into. But here's the thing. I mean, I assume you saw Office Space. Now their plan yeah. was a little bit different. They were not necessarily oh, yeah. they weren't sure whether they were stealing because they were taking fractions of a penny, right? Yes. And then diverting that penny or the fractions of a penny to an account. And if they did it like hundreds of millions of times, that would add up to some money. I don't know that that ever got off the ground, but that was their plan. And it's like victimless crime. In this case, he oversaw the virtual credit card program for the Jaguars and stole, I guess you could say from one well, just One a quick question. Vir- virtual credit card program is so that that like the whole team and the whole office has access to a credit card for the for the team. Like, is that what that is? I think so. I mean, I haven't read the indictment, but the the what what from what I've read online about it, that they they describe it as sort of a cardless virtual credit card system. So no physical card for employees to cover like business expenses and travel and things like that. So I don't know if this was like some team sponsored loyalty credit card where it's like earn points and get discounts on Jaguars tickets if you use a Jaguars branded credit card because I know that's very popular in certain other sports like the co-branded or or licensed card but in this case it just seemed like it was a card system for members of the like employees of the Jaguars to just track their expenses but he had complete oversight over that so so he was able to create all these fraudulent transactions and inflate the value in other transactions and literally funnel millions of dollars to his own accounts with no one noticing for four years. So, you know, that does seem like a little bit of, I'll give you my two big concerns here. If, and, and the NFL and the Jaguars want this story to go away immediately because yeah, yeah, they don't yeah, want people yeah. to ask these questions. But if you're, if you're the NFL and this guy is a compulsive gambler, and he's gambling away millions of dollars in sportsbook and he's also privy to confidential information of the team, like maybe players' injuries, like what length is he willing to go to get an advantage in his gambling? And then does that mean the gambling playing field, which is a huge business that every franchise really wants to be a part of and wants to see grow, if the playing field isn't level, then people on the inside can get information about like so-and-so's injured or the team flight to London. Jaguars played a few games overseas is late or maybe you know, maybe there's information that he has access to that would impact his bets. So that is concern number one, I think, if you're the league, is like you don't want people asking questions about what bets he made and what information right. he had and whether there's a discrepancy. And then if you're the Jaguars, and I have not saying or confirming, I'm just, you know, this is a theory that's out there. They want a new stadium. It's a two billion dollar project. They want taxpayers to cover half of that. And if you're a taxpayer in Florida or in Jacksonville, and you're like, well, do I want to hand the team a billion dollars? That is a bad look. Yeah. How could this person, you know, be able to 
embezzle $22 million. Yeah, I think that's the biggest issue is that this went on for years. And even though this guy was the manager of financial planning and analysis, there's still someone who's looking at the books. Like he's not like the CFO of the Jaguars. He's like in charge of like one part of it. The other thing that's kind of funny is that if he did have insider information to to make gambling bets, it says that 99% of the misappropriated funds are related to gambling losses. This guy seemed like he was just pretty bad at anything that he did when he came. I mean, gambling addiction is like, what? I like losing and I just continue playing. I mean, it wasn't exactly the biggest winner here. Well, I guess he thought he was going to like come up and win it all back and then repay the money. He probably, <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least that's what his lawyer's saying. I mean, this could go a lot of different ways, especially with crypto. I mean, if he was buying crypto and then transferring crypto, he could have made hundreds of millions of dollars that, tr- that he transferred somewhere else. And you wouldn't necessarily, you may have the blockchain addresses, but you wouldn't know who owns the wallet. So he may have different wallets set up in different places. He may have the money set, set up in some account like overseas that no one will ever be able to touch. We just don't know. Apparently... He's driving That's an true. Uber. I didn't think about that when I when I saw the 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 crypto NFT thing. I was like, wait, that that's like a little. This is obviously from like probably 2020, 2021. But yeah, to your point, he could have that could be sitting in a wallet somewhere that nobody knows about. Yeah, he could have got ETH at like four hundred. Yeah, and sold it at four thousand. I mean, we don't know if he was really good with <laughs> managing the money, and he had a twenty two million dollar. Head start, you know, it could be worth <laughs> hundreds now. I just don't yeah. know, but we don't know where the money is. He's saying he lost it all, but of course he's going to say, "Hey, I'm sorry, I lost it all. I didn't mean to do this. What was me? I lost my dream job. I've I've suffered enough. Let me go." That's sort of what he's saying. I mean, I don't necessarily believe that. Yeah, but no, it is what it is. Apparently, he's he's driving an Uber in the area, and, and he's still using oh, the Tesla. That, that, that's what you said. <laughs> I I didn't know you were joking. Or yeah, that, but <laughs> no, no. There's a story in like a golf magazine. Some some uh, golfer was at a tournament in Jacksonville and they needed an Uber and their driver was Amit and it was in a Tesla. So yeah, he said he's like a lifelong Jags fan. That's pretty funny. I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, I don't want to... Criticize- especially funny if he's got like the game on the radio and he's like, so what do you guys think? Uh, who are your picks for this week? Yeah, exactly. What do you think Trevor Lawrence is going to start? So here's the thing. I mean, I don't want to criticize the team. I don't know what happened, but I mean, it seems like... Tighter controls maybe would have caught it, but who knows? I mean, clearly they're the victims here. And Shad Khan is, he's the owner of the Jaguars. He's one of the wealthiest owners in the NFL. I think his net That's worth right. is around $12 billion. Um, You may be familiar with him as a Pakistani-American. Yeah, Pakistani-American uh, businessman. His son is the one who launched uh, AEW Wrestling, and I think they bought, it was either Tottenham or Fulham, one of the, one of the premiership teams. Listen, if you're an NFL owner and you're worth 10 plus billion dollars and you have all kinds of different businesses, then you own multiple teams. You're probably more focused on hiring a good coach and your team's record and free agency and the draft and all that. Maybe you're not looking at every single account in your VCC program and a couple million dollars a year isn't you know necessarily something you're focused on. Yeah, it's it's just an embarrassing story. And I I don't think this will care. It's, it's probably like a week, the, the story of the week. It's it's funny. It's, it's a little jokey. People are probably just making fun of the team, but it's not a good look. He's being charged with wire fraud. And wire fraud is when a person intentionally and voluntarily uses communication devices and sends information over state lines as part of a scheme to defraud another out of money or valuables. So it seems like he's pretty much done this. The maximum sentence under federal law is 20 years. Maybe they could gross that up or find some other aggravating circumstances. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, And then he's got to pay the money back. So he's saying he lost all the money. 
like I said, Man. when you get into crypto, it's a little tricky. And if he has it in some offshore account, it may be the kind of thing where they never find that money again. It's always tough to find the money once it gets out of a traditional bank account, like once right, it right. escapes into you know, a network of crypto wallets that are located overseas. It's, it's a lot harder to get jurisdiction. It's a lot, harder, a lot harder to get people in court where you can get the money back. But, you know, he's a U.S. citizen. He's in Florida. So whatever is in his accounts that are you know located here in traditional accounts, they could probably seize. I don't know. But um, if that if he's saying that money's gone, it's tough, tough for the Jaguars to get it back. Yeah, well. They got rid of them, so that's the first step, at least, and hopefully get someone a bit more with a little less um, side side hustles and uh, fun things that they're doing to lose money. Yeah. Well, let's take a break, and we'll come back, continue our sports talk, and talk about the potential of athlete pay in the NCAA. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Mesh, so I think this topic is certainly not one that we're going to do full justice to this episode, but it basically centers around NIL and whether college athletes should get paid and what the structure would be. We touched on this a little bit in episode 235 when we had Manuel Hernandez and Jeff McKay, who operate the Conquest Collective at USC on. USC is one of the universities in California, former powerhouse college football program. LeBron James' son plays for the basketball team. USC had... Many, many championships. They were really good in the early 2000s. They haven't quite recaptured that glory. They lost a bunch of games this year, but it's in the heart of LA. It's right there with UCLA as the premier college athletic destinations in Southern California. So they have the glitz, the glam, all that stuff. And really what we're talking about is just economics when you think about it. So college football and basketball are multi-billion dollar industries that you know universities at the top tier want to do really well in universities, some of the athletic department budgets are in up to 250 million. There's 59 universities that spend more than a hundred million a year on athletics. Coaches used to make a million dollars. Now they make 10 million a year. Damn. Jimbo Fisher was just fired from Texas A&M and given a $75 million uh, severance Damn. because his, his contract was guaranteed and he got fired like three or four years into it. So, I mean, it's really huge money. And the only, up until very recently, the players didn't get paid, right? They got a scholarship and maybe they got a stipend of a couple grand a year. But for like a hundred years, the NCAA is saying, well, players shouldn't get paid because we want, they have to be amateurs. They're doing this uh, foreign education. And it was kind of a fiction, especially as the TV money got bigger and bigger and bigger. 
and the coaches were making all this money and the athletic department budgets were getting huge. And so that all changed with the NIL movement in, in 2021, where the NCAA basically had to cave and say, all right, students can get paid, student athletes can get paid for use of their name, image, and likeness, but it can't come from the university. It has to come from you know, some third party or from a brand. Universities can't pay student athletes to play. That was the right. one rule. And, and it seems like that rule is kind of a sham because you yeah. know the market is it's it's really developing and it's sort of the wild wild west. So just for example, in college football, quarterbacks, um, there was a I forget who the coach was, but he said, you know, if I want a good quarterback for next season, I can go out to the NIL market, and a great quarterback is going to be like five million dollars or seven million dollars, but a good quarterback is going to be two million dollars. You can see quarterbacks are transferring teams like Kyle McCord was a starting quarterback for Ohio state. He announced he's leaving the school. He's going to go to a different school. He's got one more year of eligibility. Riley Leonard was a quarterback for Duke. And so there's all this, this transfer portal allows students to go from school to school without having to wait a year. And some people are saying, okay, well, some players, players are getting paid and that's better for them. And we're happy for it, but it creates a lot of chaos at the school level and so the new NCAA president, Charlie Baker, who happens to also be the former governor of Massachusetts, just came out with a proposal saying, let's create a super league, yeah. a top division within division one of all the school. It, it doesn't have to be, it can be like voluntary. You know, if you have a big enough athletic department budget, you can be in this top tier of D1 where half of your student athletes need to be paid 30000 a year. That's what he proposes. I don't know that that's the answer, but he's saying let's how do pay they, them. How do they like when you, wait? You said because um, uh, half of them have to be paid thirty thousand a year. Uh, is that half based on like they make that decision on who that half is? I, I I don't know what the details are, but there's only two sports. Yes, football and men's basketball that make money. The all the yes. other sports that a school would have, whether potentially two dozen other sports, maybe more, that don't make any money and. You also, because of Title IX, you have to have the same amount of opportunities for male and female athletes. So yeah, what Charlie's saying is, sure, maybe like the quarterback, the starting defensive end, the, the really good football players and basketball players might be able to make seven figures, but that we don't want to encourage that. What we want to yes. do is yes. have everyone at one of these schools make in the reasonable five figures. It's interesting because that would that would make it even more competitive to like you then really want to get if you care about money, I guess, if you're an athlete, you want to be in one of those like schools in that D1. Well, it's going to create a have and have not, but that already exists, right? The haves and have nots already exist. When you have a school like Ohio State spending $225 million a year in an athletic department budget, you know, it's really tough to compete with that if you don't have those resources. But I think I don't know where I land on this. I mean, I think it's tricky. I do think if someone is bringing that much value to a school by being an incredible athlete that can potentially draw ratings and have and sell tickets and merch and all that, they should be compensated. But I just don't know how that makes them different from pros, right? Like, should do do they have to go to class? Does that matter whether they graduate? Is it student athletes yeah. or is it really just a feeder program for the NBA and the NFL? And then how do you say, okay, you're a quarterback, you can generate $7 million, but you're only allowed to make 30000 and you know other people are gonna, who don't generate any revenue because of the way the market works and the fact that there's no TV rights for these other sports 
or the TV rights don't sell, they also get the same amount. Yeah, I think if you're going to treat the sport or I mean the numbers that you're talking about at Ohio State, if you're going to if you're going to be bringing in that type of revenue, then yes, it seems like they are technically some level of pro in terms of hey, people come to watch this. People pay money to see this on TV and people pay money to license this on TV. Maybe there's some type of program where the money, it's not just like the the ones who are really bringing the money. Maybe it's not that they get the money right away. It's like set aside in some type of trust that they can't touch right away. Well, it's supposed to. Is that already how it would work anyways? Well, that's what he's, so we have no idea how it's supposed to work because there's no system in place. But what he's proposing is that the, the athletic department's budget funds some trust fund that then pays these stipends or $30,000 a year to 50% of the players or more. Yes. I guess that's the floor. But he doesn't have a solution. He's just thinking we need a different system because right now it's like for 30 years, it was a black market where it was like illegal yeah. to receive money, but everyone that was good was receiving money. And you saw Reggie Bush, he got... I don't know if he got suspended, but they had to vacate USC's championship and he had to re- he had to give back his Heisman because he received impermissible benefits. So there were super strict penalties even a couple years ago for doing things like accepting a meal or a flight or whatever because the NCAA was overcorrecting, saying we don't want people to be paid for their performance. So that created this huge black market and a lot of p- players were getting paid and it was just illegal, right, or impermissible. So that system existed for a long time. Now it's somewhat quasi okay because the NCAA is saying players are allowed to get paid, but there's one thing that they can't do, which schools can't pay players, but that's why these NIL collectives, a large part of the reason they exist is to do exactly that, but not have the school be the one writing the check. And they're saying that doesn't work because there's too much chaos and transfer transferring and the schools aren't really enforcing this. So they're saying, well, let the schools be involved. Let them pay the players. Let's put a floor. Let's make some requirements. Let's start a framework. And that's what he's proposing. I don't know how much traction there's going to be. And there also would like Congress to get involved, but Congress has a lot of other things to, to yeah, do. Totally. So they may not. <laughs> totally. And, you know, and, and meanwhile, it's it's like, what's the purpose of the NCAA or what's the purpose of college? Is it academics? Is it academics? And then if you can play a sport, great. You can go to school for free if you're really, really good. Or is it a feeder program to the NBA and NFL? I mean, that those are big strategic questions. I generally like the proposal here. I think it's thinking that these things have morphed into something. For some people, college is college. They go get a degree, they go get a job or whatever the case be. For some people, yeah, it's like this is our avenue to get into you know, professional sports and that's this is the avenue. That's great. That's still a career for them. It's just one that people really, really want to watch. Uh, I like the idea of like starting to set these guidelines and not just letting it up to like third parties um, to come in. I do like a bit of a mix here. There is that balance though, where, um, you know, when, if, if the NCAA does this all themselves and like now an athlete won't be able to make deals on the side, it all has to go through the NCAA where they're potentially like giving up any type of upside. So I feel like there's going to be an interesting balance. Um, but I, I think it's a good place to be. That's at, my, at least my opinion, given something that has been so like, hey, we're not letting kids make this money and we're just going to make so much money out of it. It seems like the right road we're taking. On. I agree. I mean, I think if there's a, and I'm part of the problem too, because I'm a, I'm a sports fan. I watch college football. I watch college basketball. A part of my consumer dollars as a cable subscriber go to these things. I, I go to events. I buy tickets. I buy gear. 
I went to Duke, which is, you know, an elite school, but also has powerhouse basketball team. And, you know, we knew when we were going there that like we were going to be in the tournament in the later stages of the tournament, the NCAA tournament every year. Yeah. ESPN was covering games from campus every year and players were, would go to Duke for, for, to have a good shot at making the NBA. Right. Cause our, every game was televised. Yeah. And it's very competitive recruiting. Now at that time when I was there, you couldn't pay players to attend, but coach K was such a draw and the ability to compete at the top of the level and get coached by the best. Like coach K was in and out of coaching the Olympics and you know, he had all the connections in the NBA. It was a great feeder for the NBA and it worked out really well. Now, I had no, I, you know, I went to Duke for an education and, and this and that. And, you know, a lot of people go to get, you know, a good degree and get a good job. But if you're deciding between, hey, this school can coach me really well and I'm not really focused on anything but making the pros, then, you know, maybe academics aren't as important to you. Essentially, it's your degree. Like you're going to play sports. Like you're like if if you have a potential to get a job as a professional athlete, and you're going to college to play that sport and get noticed and you know get better, that is your. It, the way I look at it is like you're going to do that. That is your degree. Like that is going to be your job. And is that the whole point of college in the first place? But then there's that. Balance yeah, and if you break your leg, and yeah, you have sure, that, and that's sure. not a, an option for you, right? After that, and you get some, you you know, your earning potential is decimated as a result of an injury that happens while you're in college, you should have insurance. Like there should be some yes. sort of way to be a compensated for that risk and made whole if something bad happens. So I, I agree. And I, I just don't know how you put rules on schools saying you can, you can pay up to this, but you can't pay more than that because every time they've tried to do that, it hasn't worked. Yeah. Well, every school is also different too. I mean, it's probably percentage or whatever it might be, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, it's interesting to see because in in the last like few months, we've we it seems like we're talking more about this. It's like some things at least come like proposals are being made, but it seems very very early because like a lot of answers have not been uh, a lot of questions have not been answered yet. Well, yeah, because for like like we said for a very very long time, the NCAA is like, well, they can't get paid anything. It's, yeah, they're amateurs, yeah. and now. A lot of people just felt like that was kind of a BS response, just a way to keep labor costs down. And so now I think everyone acknowledges that they do deserve to get, I don't think everyone, but a lot of people, I think the sentiment, the, the prevailing sentiment is that students, student athletes deserve to get paid something. The question is, should the NCAA regulate it? Should it be a free market? And how do we prevent chaos? Yeah, I think that's a good so, summary. We'll see. We'll see, keep cool. everyone updated. Paul, great breakdown as always. That's our show for this week, folks. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Tell your friends, tell your family, leave us a review. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok at Better Call Paul the Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Meshlakani. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>